Acts 12, we're talking about advance. Now, we've been in the book of Acts for, for several weeks, and we're going to continue on since we're not taking a pause and doing a short time uh, topical sermon series. We're, we're uh, going to continue on through the book of Acts. And today we're talking about advance. Now, I think we can all admit that the world is a confusing place for the Christian right now, at least in our nation. And, and the church is in the crosshairs of the world. Take, for instance, and this shouldn't surprise anybody, take, for instance, the media, all right? So the New York Times, now this is not the New Brockton Times, this is the New York Times, and, uh, and, and, and this, so very reputable, this is what the New York Times says right here. Churches, this is a headline, I didn't make this up. Churches were eager to reopen. Now they are a major source of coronavirus cases. Now, you don't have to have your PhD in journalism to know that that's just an absolute assertion that even as you read the article, which, you know, maybe in paragraph six, it starts talking about the actual numbers. So, in other words, it's almost as if the New York Times is trying to frame a narrative uh, by headlines and not expecting anybody to, to read this. It's almost like the New York Times doesn't like the church. I don't, I don't know, but, but here's what we got. Churches were eager to reopen. Now they are major. Now, think about that word major, major source. Now, the word majority has the root word major in it. To have a majority, you've got to be able to quantify it, number one. And then number two, it's got to be at least over 50%, right? That's basic just math and, and sensibility. Well, again, if you read, the parag- uh, read down in maybe paragraph five, six, or seven, it says, and I quote, more than 650 coronavirus cases have been linked to nearly 40 churches and religious events across the U.S. Now, let's think about these numbers here. First of all, four, so it says 40 churches. It's been linked to 40 churches across the U.S. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want to see if anybody knows some trivia here. How many Southern Baptist churches are in Coffee County? Not independent Baptist, not free will Baptist, not even missionary Baptist, but Southern Baptist alone. We're not even talking about Adam Presbyterian, Assembly of God, uh, uh, Church of Christ, uh, Methodist, just Southern Baptist alone, Coffee County. You know how many there are? 51. And then you add on the other churches, Coffee County alone. So New York Times is saying, they're, they're scanning the whole nation, and they're saying, uh-huh, 40 churches. <laughs> I'm like, you can come to Southern Baptist churches in Coffee County Law and find more than what you're talking about right here. Now, let's deal with the number, 650 cases, 650. At this time, uh, this was a few weeks ago, at the time of this article, there were over 3 million cases now, the simple math tells us that we're talking 0.02%, and yet they're saying it's a major source. So 0.02% is somehow, I mean, this is, again, this is not just bad journalism. This is, like, just wrong. It's just, it's just wrong. It's, a, it's an absolute assertion that's not based on facts. All right, here's, a, here's another one. So ABC News, and this was this past week, maybe you read this, 40 infected with coronavirus after church event. 40 infected with coronavirus after church event. Now, that did happen. Now, the question is, where did it happen? Well, again, down in the article, you find out that it happened actually in Strawberry, Alabama. Now, I've lived in Alabama my whole life, except for a couple years in Louisville, Kentucky, when I was in two or three years when I was up there for, for school. 
And not until I read this article had I ever heard of Strawberry, Alabama. And, and so you think, well, now, how does a well-renowned nationwide news outlet wind up in Strawberry, Alabama? You don't wind up in Strawberry, Alabama unless you're lost or you're looking for it. And, and maybe ABC News is one or the other. I don't know. But you've got, you, you've got this uh, the, the story, and, and uh, again, a few paragraphs in, you learn that, okay, this church event was a revival. It was a smaller church, and they met for an entire week, not only every day, but multiple times throughout the day. So you had a small group of people in a very close place, basically living together every day. Of course, I mean, nobody argues that this is a highly contagious virus. Of course, this virus is going to spread in, in, in something like that. Of course it is. And yet, ABC News, with all the things they have to cover, they find this, and that's the headlines, by the way, the, even the article says that uh, it, it, the people that were infected seem to be very mild in their cases. Now, you may think, you may, you may think, well, maybe this isn't, they're not just targeting the church here. Maybe, maybe these news outlets are looking to, um, you know, maybe other gatherings, let's say protests, where they're, they're very close and in close quarters and, and those kind of things. Well, again, this, these are not some small branded names right here. So Time Magazine, one of their articles here recently said, nationwide protests have not caused a COVID-19 spike. I mean, they just made that assertion. Of course, they put in parentheses so far. So, so what, how is it that the church is a major source, according to the New York Times and Time Magazine says, but the protests, nah, we, they, had, they just haven't caused um, um, and of course, at least they're honest and they say so far, they, I think they're admitting they don't really know, but so far. And then finally, the Washington Post protest probably, at least they put the word probably in there, protest probably didn't lead to coronavirus spikes, but it's hard to know for sure. Now, that's not the only thing we look at. You can look at like, let's say in Nevada, the Supreme Court actually says, you know, casinos, well, let's deal with the capacity of the building and take a percentage of the, and, and y'all are open for business. We're good, you're good. But churches, on the other hand, we can't, we can't think about the capacity of the building and then talk about a percentage. It's just 50. If, you, if, if, a, church holds, if a church building holds 10,000, if you meet an arena, you hold 10,000, you can still only do 50. And, the, and so it's clear it's clear that something is going on here, First Baptist. Now, I want to tell you what I'm not doing. First of all, I'm not trying to make some kind of political stance against the media or against anybody else. Number two, I'm not saying that we need to dismiss any and all measures for health safety. You can look around and you can see what we're doing here at First Baptist and we're trying to be very cautious and very wise in how we do it. As a nation, we are all facing an unprecedented global pandemic and we must all work together to combat this virus. Here's what I'm also not saying. We need to play the victim here we're the church, and the church is being done wrong, and woe is us. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus would not allow that. Jesus never played the victim, and he never calls us to play the victim. Besides, the church is not the only religious institution that's affected here. Mosques are affected, and so are uh, Jewish synagogues. The point I'm making is this. 
If you align with the church, you will be at odds with the world. And that should surprise us. If you align with the church, you're going to be at odds with the world. It's just that it's coming, it's, it's really being exposed right now in our cultural moment. But it shouldn't surprise us because we've been in the book of Acts for a long time and, and, uh, and we've seen that. But here's what we can be confident in. In the midst of all the craziness that's going on in our world, here's what we can rest assured. We can rest easy at night. We, we can be absolutely confident of this. That the church will advance. That Jesus is on his throne. And that nothing is going to thwart his plans. But we will face resistance, we being the church. And that's nothing new. We, it, it's not only looking in the book of Acts, it's looking worldwide. So we're not talking merely about the American church, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And the church has faced resistance since its inception and even today. But the, the church will advance. And so the main idea that we're going to see today as we unpack the scripture is that God advances his church it's not that he will do it one day. We, we're kind of, he's being high, his plans are being hijacked right now. No, no, no. He is advancing his church right now. And he is, like present tense, through all that we're experiencing, he is advancing his church. And this is how it's going to happen. In our text today, we're going to see three ways. Persecution, prayer, and praise. So let's jump in. First of all, three ways that God advances his church. God advances his church through persecution. Through persecution. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 and following. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So, so violent hands. That's a very descriptive way of saying this is not, this is not good uh, for, this is not happening well for the church. And so um, it's violent hands. Verse 2. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So you've got James killed, Peter arrested. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. Talking about Peter. Delivering him over to, the, to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But... Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And that's a little foreshadowing of what we're about to see with, uh, with prayer. But the first, the, the, the first point is that through persecution, God advances his church. So think about it like this. Peter was in prison. James was killed. By any standard, it would look like the church was losing. Am I right? Like, you're looking at this, and you're like, wait a minute, what happened? James is saying, what do you mean? I'm about to be beheaded. I'm about to be beheaded I'm about to, or be killed. Who knows well, what's going to happen? And then he dies. I'm following after you, God. I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus. Peter, this is the rock. He's Jesus' right-hand man. And he's imprisoned, and he knows quite well he's simply awaiting his death. For all he knows, he's going to die. So by any standard, it was seen that this isn't working out too well for them. But then look, fast forward to verse 24. This is how it works out. The word of God increased and multiplied. In other words, 
God advances his church through persecution. But that should remind us, ladies and gentlemen, that following Jesus is not safe. When you align yourself with Christ, at some point, you're going to be obtuse with the world. But what they are showing, what they are demonstrating, Peter and James and so many more, is that there is something so valuable and so wonderful that it's worth living for and it's worth dying for. And it's not a it, it's a he. His name is Jesus. First Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 10.22 says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see Jesus as more valuable than life itself? There is a higher mission than comfort and safety. And until you see Jesus, until you savor him, the things of this world will still have a hold on you. But when you see him as he is, in his glory, in his beauty, in his worth... If you, if, you, if you taste and see that the Lord is good, then you'll be able to say with Paul, there's nothing that compares to knowing Jesus Christ. To, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain, only that Christ may be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Are you willing to take risk that could be harmful to you, to your bank account, your retirement and for your comfort the only way that you're going to be there the only way you're going to get there the only way I'm going to get there is by continually casting my gaze upon Jesus and his beauty and his worth so God advances his church through persecution and number two God advances his church through prayer through prayer look at verses six and following now, when Herod was about to bring him out, by the way, Herod right here is, is not King Herod that uh, tried to kill Jesus. This is many years later. This is actually his grandson, Herod Agrippa. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, let me just say, in the midst of what your 401k has been doing, in the midst of what's the uncertainty that lies ahead, in the midst of the civil unrest that's going on, let me ask you, have you been kind of jammed up? Ha has your soul been at rest, or has it been very uneasy lately? And that can be symptomatic of what we're really trusting in, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Look at Peter. He's very well awaiting his death, his execution, and he's sleeping. He's between two soldiers, and he's sleeping. Luke intends to, to let that trigger an impulse to us to, to say, what is he hoping in? What is he resting in? What are you resting in? 
So now when Herod was about to bring him out on the very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that uh, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them and, uh, of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many uh, were gathered together and were what? Praying. Verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you were out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it, was, uh, that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, Every time I've heard this passage preached by a preacher, the preacher always points out how crazy this scene is. So I'm going to have to do, just spare me, but I won't have to do that with you. I mean, just, just imagine, all right, you've got this, this, uh, this holy huddle. They're huddled up. They are praying. These are Christians that are praying, and, and you quite possibly they're praying for, uh, for God to release Peter from, Lord, please get Peter out of prison. You can just hear these, I mean, these earnest prayers. God, please get him out of prison. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. They're like, Rhoda, can you get that? Rhoda runs to the door. She hears Peter's voice. It says, in her joy. So she's excited. She's clearly wanting this to happen. She clearly loves Peter. You know, she cares for Peter. And she's so excited that she doesn't open the door. It's like, she, well, why didn't you open the door? She didn't open the door. She runs back. She's like, y'all, y'all won't believe this. They're, uh, Peter's at the door. I mean, just imagine. They're, they're saying, Lord, please get Peter out of prison. And, th and they're like, wait, hold on. Rhoda, what, what are you saying? Peter's at the door. I'll get out of here. You know, that can't possibly happen. So it does happen. Uh, long story short, I mean, you just, we just read it. And uh, Peter comes in. And I guess there's a universal sign for being quiet. I, we were in the, in the, you know, had a lot of kids in the last service, so I said, what is that sign? And they were all, you know, they knew. So I don't know, again, now, th this is in, it was originally in Greek, and so I don't know what the Greek parsing of the word, but, but maybe it was like that, or maybe he did like that, or, you know, he, he did some kind of sign to be quiet, and he, and he told them, um, he said, yep, the Lord did this. Angel of the Lord hit me actually hit me woke me up and 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 got me out of there that was it was wild now what does that actually teach us well it teaches us that God moves through prayer 
this is, this is several times now that, that Luke, the author of Acts, is mentioning prayer. I've got a good buddy, Ben Campbell. He said, he would always say, um, you know, if we really believe, if we really believe what we say we believe about prayer, we'd pray more. Let me ask you, are you praying? Now, here's what we know the New Testament teaches. God always answers godly prayer. Absolute. God always answers godly. Now, now notice that word godly. That's, that's very important. So, you know, you may, you may be praying for a private jet. You may be pray, praying for a lot of different things. That, that, uh, I'm not saying that like, having a private jet is not godly, but it, may, but it very well could be that that doesn't serve the purposes of God. It's very selfish motive, and God is interested in motive. So here's what we know. God always answers godly prayer. In fact, John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's an here's a interpretation of godly prayer. First of all, you ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name is not just a cliche little ending to the prayer. In Jesus' name, it, it's saying it comes with his authority and it comes with his purpose, with the purposes of God. What's the ultimate purpose of God? That the Father may be glorified. All glory be to God. We always say it like this. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's why we exist, First Baptist. It's not merely to make disciples. It's that we may glorify God by making disciples. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we want God's glory to be known. We want, we want God's name to be magnified. And so you think, okay, so that may explain why God... He, he obviously answered uh, the prayer for Peter, but what about James? You can only imagine that they did the same thing for James. Maybe you've asked that same question in your life. God, why did you answer this prayer and not this prayer? And if it's true that all, all prayers or all godly prayers answered, what, what does that mean? How do, we, how do we understand that? Peter got out, James was killed. Here's what we know. God always answers prayer if it always is for his purposes. And if, the, if the, the overarching kind of resolve in your heart for every prayer that you pray is that, God, your will be done, your kingdom come, is all for your glory, only that your name be glorified, he'll answer your prayer. It, just, it, it may not be in the specific way that you pray it. And... Doesn't that, want to, doesn't that make you want to pray more? Knowing that, you know, when we resolve in our hearts that we can, we can ask for things in, in Jesus' name and know that, that he may refrain specifics from that, but he's going to answer that his kingdom come, that his will be done, that his glory be magnified, he will answer that. I think about when my dad died. I prayed all the time. Lord, heal my dad. He had cancer. Heal my dad. Heal my dad. Heal my dad. Heal. I mean, I said it all the time. But you know what I was ultimately praying? Is that the name of God was glorified. And I just don't have the perspective he has. And all I can do is rest in the comfort that God having that perfect perspective from beginning to end that his purposes, his plan and his glory was advanced more through taking my dad at the age of 57 
than for him living until 97. And I don't understand, understand everything, but I know that God knows best. And what that does, instead of demotivating me to pray, that actually motivates me to, to pray more because we can go to him in prayer. Uh, another one, James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Ephesians six eighteen, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and, all, and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's the word all. We need to pray for all things all the time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17, pray without ceasing. You see, prayer is not primarily about getting things from God. It's primarily about it getting near to God. Because prayer changes things, but prayer most fundamentally changes us. It changes us. So three ways God advances this church. And by the way, you need to be praying for your church. You need to be praying for me. You need to be praying for each, each other, one another. We're in this together, especially during these times. Pray for one another. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Uh, seek unity more than division. Seek unity be, be long-suffering, be patient, and, and persevere in prayer for one another. And watch God advance his church. And then number three, God advances his church through praise. Through praise. Now, here's what's interesting when you do a study of contrast in, the, in, the, in chapter 12. Up to this point, you know what we see throughout the book of Acts? You've probably seen it over and over and over again. The people of God, they gather and they praise God. They gather, they worship God. They, they're worshiping God, they're singing, uh, they're, they're reading God's word, they, they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles. We see this over and over. It's worship, it is praise. But now we're about to see praise that's very different. It's not coming from Christians. It's not directed to God. It's coming from the world, and it's directed to a king. In fact, let me just read it, and then we'll, I'll comment on it. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. So he made this big speech, verse 22. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now, parents, grandparents, you are not allowed to tell this story in order to motivate your children to go to church without complaining, all right? Oh, really? You, little Johnny, you, you want to complain about coming to church? Well, um, it's all fun and games to get eaten by worms. Looks right there in the Bible. You know, you can't, I don't know if that's quite the correct interpretation or application. So we've got to be very careful with that. But, um, you know, the very, the, the, the thing we're prone to do, I see this in my own life, is when I read, a, a, especially a historical narrative text, let's take, for instance, David and Goliath. You know what we immediately do? We, we often will put ourselves in the shoes of the hero and not the villain. How many of us say, you know what, I read David and Goliath and I immediately think about the principles that, that, David, that, or that, that Goliath teaches me about myself. Or maybe the Philistines. Or maybe even the, the Israelites that are shaking in their boots, not trusting God. 
No, what we do, we immediately think about David and how he faced his gi- the giant and we face our giants. Of course, uh, we, I, could, <laughs> I could unpack a lot of reasons why that's not the best interpretation of that passage. But we do that. We oftentimes put ourselves in the, he- in the, in the shoes of the hero. But why? When it's clear that the New Testament tells us that we are enemies by default. Ever since Genesis 3, we are enemies of God. So I believe Herod can actually teach us something about ourselves. You see, what was he doing? You know what he was doing? He was simply receiving praise of man. And instead of being a conduit and giving God the glory, he loved it. And he ate it up. And we can do this in such subtle ways. I can do it. I can use ministry. I'm prone to use ministry as a prop to make myself look good instead of giving God the praise and glory. I know that about the vanity of my own heart. And so that's why I've got to constantly say, Lord, as the psalmist did, search me, Lord, and know my heart and see if, I, if there be any wicked ways in me. It's, it's insidious, it's wickedness, and it's in the heart of every man and woman. And so let me ask you, are you giving God glory in your career when someone gives you praise, are you get, do you give God the glory? Are you a conduit or are you, are you kind of shoring that up and, and keeping it for yourself? That's what Herod was doing right here. You don't have to have a group of people saying, uh, the voice of God and not of man in order for you to fall into the same line of Herod. In fact, this is our ultimate problem. Paul David Tripp said, we are all in our sin glory thieves. We seek to steal glory from God, the one deserving of all glory, and we place it on something or someone besides God, even if it's ourselves. But by His grace, He has redeemed us, and, uh, and we are to let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, let's take a step back. Look at ch- chapter 12 as a whole. And I think we see a great contrast here. And that is the wisdom and the power of the world and the wisdom and the power of God. Let's contrast these. At the beginning of this, what do we see? We see the kingdoms of this world flexing their muscles. We see Herod, he's in a palace. People are praising him. We see Peter is in prison and James is in a grave. But just like that, by the end of the chapter... Everything turns. Peter's out of prison. Herod is not only in a grave, he's being eaten by worms. He's not in the palace anymore. And what do we see? Verse 24, we see the word of God increase and multiply. You can't stop the church. So, what are we hoping in? Are we hoping in the kingdoms of this world to align with us and to to make it very comfortable for us? Yeah, you align with the kingdoms of this world. It may seem strong. It may seem powerful. It may seem wise, the thing to do. Look at the masses. There's no way. The church is losing here. Only temporarily. 
But God says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's very small and very insignificant. But it will grow. And the word of God will continue to increase and multiply. So the message is clear. And I think this is where we just need to camp out on. And we, we, we just need to let this truth wash over our hearts again. The kingdom of man is frail and weak. But the kingdom of God is eternal and strong. Or we could say it like this, like the old proverb. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. First Baptist. Trust in the Lord, not in the world or the kingdoms of this world, not in your 401k or anything else. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You may not know why things are happening the way they are. It may seem like things are out of control, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him, acknowledge Yahweh, acknowledge God, and He will make straight your paths. Father, we pray that we would have the resolve in our hearts and our minds that we would trust in you with all of our hearts. Help us not look to the ways of this world for guidance, but rather look to your word. That's where we find confidence and that's where we find hope. And so Lord, do a work on our hearts now as we've, as we've opened up your word. If there's anyone in here not trusting in Christ, Lord, let them trust in Christ. If there's anyone here that's trusting in the things of this world more than in Jesus, Lord, help us, help us, fill us with your spirit, remind us of these truths. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.